Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He's the dude, you know what I'm saying? Nicole and Jamal. What does a successful season look like? Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nicole Jokic, that's your starting front line. I'd say that they have very expensive taste. You're listening to the Chicken Nuggets Podcast. Real. What is up and welcome back to another episode of the Chicken Nuggets Podcast. Actually, this episode is a grilled edition. I've been going kind of out of order, but Chicken Nuggets Grilled um, is our new episode that we're doing every week where we I interview somebody that's related to the Nuggets in some way, connected to the NBA in some way, or connected to uh, the team or one of the teams that the Nuggets will be facing coming up. So today we have a very special guest, probably, I don't even know, like my workplace uh, mentor, I would say, in a way, guy I look up to, I don't know what to call you, Matt Moore. Action Network, lots of reasons to look up to this guy, not just basketball related, also money related with betting and just society related, good person related. Thanks for being here, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jenna. Always for anything for you. Ah, I appreciate that. Um, I think you, everyone just says that to me because I'm like the only girl on the, <laughs> out of all of the media members. Like everyone's so helpful to me. There's Katie. Yeah. There, yeah. Katie, I wouldn't help Katie. Tell with Katie. No, I'm just kidding. I like Katie too. Um, no, I mean, like you and I talked about this. Uh, it, I, I, I think it's weird, right? Where there's on the beat, there's a simultaneously intersection of you're a woman, and so you're treated differently, and then there are those of us that are aware you're treated differently, and we kind of want to protect against that. So we compensate, but that helps to kind of like reinforce the ideas. So like, ultimately, like it's, it's, it's overlapping uh, systemic problems of just basic like misogyny and sexism. So um, I hope, I hope um, if you want though, if you let me know, Jenna, if I need to be more of a jerk to you, I will do that. Like I can absolutely be meaner to you. No, you know, I think um, Brian Blackburn, on all of your all of the harder sides of matt moore for for me yeah, i will I ask ryan i can definitely be meaner i can spread it around i got enough mean to go around i'll leave it up to ryan i like watching you guys go back and forth online and of course in this in the arena when i get to but it's always a learning experience for me for sure um on these episodes matt we're, we've kind of been doing a little bit of you know, my guest origin story, I guess, giving you a chance to tell us, like, where did it all happen? Where did it all start? At what point were you like, yes, this is, I'm definitely going to write about sports betting. And I'm that, you know, I'm sure that may have had, you may have had to take different paths along a path that you started on in the beginning, right? You might have veered from the path along the way, but we had uh, Sean Hyken on the show last year, and he told us a little bit about your origin story because you guys are intertwined a bit. Yeah, I know Sean forever. I've known Sean a long time. 
Uh, yeah, I had Sean on, you know, the late 2000s was an exciting time. If you wanted to write about literally anything now it's podcasts. Like if you want podcasts about anything, you can, you can conceivably have success late 2000s. It was, you know, really it was, it was writing. And so, um, I started a blog and it was mostly meant to keep me from, cause my, uh, fiance and then later wife was like, Hey, good. I need you to not close the bar every night. That's the thing that you're going to need to stop doing is just going and drinking until close every night. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I need a hobby. I'll start a blog. And, um, it took off. I was fortunate to get some help from people like Henry Abbott at True Hoop, um, who linked to me. And the first time that he linked to me and like, they used to do these basically link roundups, right? Like here's a bunch of links to good writing around the web. And the first time that Henry linked me in True Hoop, I got like 500 visitors to the site. And it was such a big deal for me. Like I went like three days telling everyone I, I could, except for the people I, I worked with because they didn't need to know I was doing that. Um, that I was like, I was like 500 people went to my, my, my site. It was so amazing. Um, and it was really exciting. And then I got to know people in the industry a little bit more, other people that were writing and Tom Ziller, who worked at SB Nation forever, also worked at uh, AOL Fan House. And he was like, uh, we were talking one day and I was like, well, you know, the goal eventually would be for me to like write for Fan House. And he was like, you, you want to write for Fan House? And I was like, yeah. He's like, hang on a second, give me 10 minutes. And then like 10 minutes later, I get an email from Matt Watson, who was the editor at the time. And Matt Watson was like, hey, can you start on Saturday? And that was it. And that was like the first time I started getting paid for writing about basketball. Um, and I went a long time not having a, a gig. I, I started in 2000, this, the fall of 2007, my first blog post on hardwood paroxysm. And the first major gig I got was February of 2010 at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk under Kurt Helen. And then I didn't start full-time at CBS until 2010. But in that time, I was running paroxysm. And I brought in a lot of people that um, ha have worked in this industry. Uh, we Last I counted, there were 42 people, and they don't all currently work in the industry, but there were 42 people that wrote for the site and went on to have jobs either in media or with teams. So there's, I'm not going to say who, but there is an analytics, uh, a head of analytics for a major Eastern Conference team a very successful one that he started his work at hardwood paroxysm and that's how he got found there's uh uh i had another head of an eastern conference analytics team who was writing there uh rob mahoney at the ringer um zach harper at the athletic uh trey kirby did some work for us uh he and i were, were really close friends um and then he's obviously with dunks uh no dunks and you know, on and on. And so Sean Hyken is another name that, you know, Bleacher Report that he, I had him in kind of the second wave of HP guys and um, Sean continues to be really successful and really proud of how far he's come as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't just been my mentor that I'm like one of many people that you've kind of had the hand in working in their career. That's got to feel special. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'd say like, I don't, I don't know. There, there's been kind of this idea about it. I, I will say that I do know that not everybody takes this approach. Like I've had people that I've worked with that I was hopeful would help me and didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was always kind of surprised by it. I don't know. It just, I'll say this. It does not take that much bandwidth to help people. Like you can make time in your life 
to help others. And it's, you know, it, all it is, is, you know, being willing to say like, oh, you have this problem. Okay. Here's how we can solve it. I know a guy, let me put you in touch or, well, okay. Make sure that you're doing this. I, I think oftentimes like you have to walk a line, right? Especially as you get older, this is, this is tough because you don't want to be patronizing because there are times when like I'll reach out to someone like there was somebody that wrote something on Twitter the other day and I was like hey just as a heads up this is probably bad timing on this because of something in the news and like you don't want to overstep your boundaries but I do think that um if somebody wants to get better and they think that you're good at it and they come to you why would you not help them like why would like to me it's like it's such a a gift and it's such an honor for anybody to think that what I have to say matters or would help. And so I'm always happy. Like I'm, I'm happy to give that and other people being successful, it, it will make you feel awesome. Like it just makes you feel awesome. The cost is very low and the reward is very high. When you see somebody that you had some small part, because, you know, to be clear, like the work still got to get done. The talent still has to be there, but if you can solve small problems or put small connections in or put words in for people uh, and be supportive, like that's a lot of it sometimes too, is I have a lot of conversations with folks that are just like, I don't feel like my career is going anywhere. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I have an identity. And a lot of the time it's like reminding them of the fact that I'm like, look, I started out as a blogger that wrote like weird things. <laughs> I wrote really weird things in the beginning. And then I was a news aggregator and I was writing like, Derek Rose has an ankle injury. He's out two weeks. Here's how this impacts the bulls you know, and now I do like deep analysis and betting content, like your job's going to evolve and change and your identity will change. And being willing to be open to those things is important. But I think having perspective and providing perspective, I think is one of the, that's more important than any sort of like tangible advice or ethos that I think you can hand people. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, it stems, people don't think through the, that process like you do and think about how great it does feel to see success in others that you might have played a part in. Um, instead, we, I think human nature is to feel competitive, especially in this field. And, you know, if somebody else is doing good, then, you know, or if their podcast is getting downloads, then mine's not going to get downloads. Yeah. And, you know, I just think that's just such a silly thing because we have so nothing but time. You, you would be surprised how many hours I can spend just listening to podcasts. Like it's, it's crazy. So I know that there's time and it, and that's the best way to go about this business. I feel like as a journalist, what I've learned over time, you're right. Not everyone <laughs> helps you uh, along the way. And sometimes people even hinder you from being successful, unfortunately in this field, but especially as a woman. Yeah. The, the, the competitive, I'm sure as a woman, it's, it's it's way worse i think the competitive stuff is always strange to me i think part of that it's not it's not directly tied to sports right because we hear about this in other fields of writing of journalism that that there is this kind of there's this competition and i mean look our society is geared towards competition and so it's it's engendered in us as a value i think for me i was always kind of confused by it because i was just like look there's no clicks to go around. Like you can read my stuff and this other person's stuff and this other person's stuff. Like we can, like everybody can get time because everyone consumes so much content now. Like you mentioned the podcast thing. Like I, you know, it takes me an hour to get from, from the arena home. So last night after the Nuggets game, like I, I cruised through three podcasts. Like there's enough time for everybody. And the idea that, you know, 
like I can't imagine ever being like, I don't want someone to listen, you know, as host of Locked on Nuggets. Like I can't imagine being like, I don't want someone, to, I don't want you to listen to pickaxe and roll. Like, right. Why would I not want you to listen to Ryan? Ryan's really smart. Ryan puts a lot of time into this stuff. Like Ryan's thoughtful and passionate about the nuggets. If you're listening to Locked on Nuggets, you should be listening to pickaxe and roll. You should be listening to Mile High Hoops with Zach Bai. You should be listening to Singer's podcast. Like you should be listening to your podcast. Like if you're a Nuggets fan, you should want as much content as possible and, you know, consume as much of it as you can, especially, you know, if you want that good content, because I, a lot of this also gets into like the media sphere, like when I started was, was pretty toxic and it's toxic in different ways now, but it, the way it was toxic then was like, there was gatekeeping and there was only like one way of, of, of doing the, the work. There's only way of doing journalism. There's only one way of approaching covering the sport. And that's insane, right? Like there's so yeah. many creative and good ways to cover it. You should be open to all sorts of mechanisms. So yeah, um, I, I've never really understood the competitive nature of it. I think I know for you that there's challenges arise because you're a woman that, it, you know, it's hard because I try and always be kind of like on the lookout for those kind of things. Um, I've li like listening to other women beat writers talk about their experiences. Um, it's alarming, right? And you, you, the question that I always kind of get to is since I look at, because I'm the senior guy in the room at this point, like Dempsey was there longer, but Dempsey's at the altitude, so he's on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been there the longest. Mike's singer is there the most. Um, but like, you want to kind of make sure that that room isn't toxic. You want to make sure that that environment isn't bad because like I was, it was not, necessarily surprising once I thought about it but early on when I would hear women beat writers just talk about like no 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 my, I don't have any problems with the players I have more issues with my colleagues mm -hmm. and that was really you know and so you like you try and watch out for those things but so much of this is just like it's it's small interactions and small slides that I won't even recognize as a man like I won't recognize that these situations are uh, unempowering or difficult so like I've always tried to stress to you that like if there are issues you know, you should go to Nuggets Media first because they're the ones in charge of the building. And then two, like, you know, go to the rest of us because I think everybody wants, most most of us, I think, want to be helpful and create a good environment for coverage. Yeah, no, and you know, I think the Nuggets has been like a huge blessing for me. You know, I didn't start there and um, I've done other sports since then too, but the Nuggets PR team does a really good job and has been, for the most part, very, probably for every time, very, very supportive and helpful of anything that comes up. And you're right. It, it actually ironically is more with pe people who would be like a peer, right? In a similar role as, as you that say things that are interesting <laughs> or inappropriate. Interesting is me being polite. Um, but you said you made a comment you said you know that as the senior guy in the room that you feel like it's you take it upon yourself to make sure that the environment isn't toxic and i think that's um exactly why i for the most part feel safe there right because i know that you and adam and and mike i've heard your guys's politics i know where you stand on women and women's rights and so i know that for the most part because you're in the room that that culture is going to be good in the room because that's some of the dominating voices um we just saw an in a deep investigation into the sun's uh front yeah. office and 
you hear things being said by high up executives. And now you have this new story coming out about the GMs kind of creating this association to protect themselves in these sorts of investigations. And I'm just curious, like to hear about your thoughts about the Suns investigation, the Portland investigation, and because you're right, like we're talking about it within ourselves and our own media group and, and there's larger entities, right? You have to trust the people that are in the room because they set the culture that and the higher up you go, the, the more control of the culture that you have, really. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's super complicated because the reason I say it's complicated is I think identifying the problems is difficult unless you're very open to those stories and if you're asking. And like that's not something like I'll I'll just tell you. Like, I mean, I, I'm a you know, I'm the NBA writer for the Action Network betting site, right? So I cover the nuggets. So I have a vested interest in those kind of things, finding a lane to, to do those things. And also just making sure people are aware that you want to hear if there are these kind of problems so they can be brought to light. That's a challenge. I think for some, I would say if you ask most of these organizations and the Suns are not the only one, they won't be the last mm-hmm. um, Blazers, obviously, you know, uh, that's a continuing investigation. They won't be the last. Mm-hmm. Some of this is tied to like, some of this you can apply across literally any industry, right? Like there was a, there's a major video game company that's basically being torn apart right now because of their own problems with these issues. Uh, I would say that the propensity for it to exist in sports is higher because you do have that, a a sports culture, which is inherently um, hyper-masculine amongst former male athletes, right? So like, this is a, a thing where um, sports aren't hypermasculine, but sports culture amongst male teams, I think, are hypermasculine in the country. So that kind of creates an environment where these kind of things are going to to um, exist and kind of like grow as pro- systemic problems. Like if you ask me, like, do the Nuggets have any sort of problems with this? Like my answer um, instinctively would be like, no, like they're, this is a pretty good group of individuals. In my experience, these people have been people of character um, that have invested in approaching things the right way. However, however, one, if you ask most of the media members that cover these teams before these investigations are brought to light, they'll probably say the same because the, con- the dynamics are very different. Like I start every, there's a couple of things I tell anybody that joins a beat that they're like, hey, I'm just looking for some advice on covering a team. And among them um, is you need to assume they're lying. You can determine based off of like your own read, whether that's accurate or not. Like you'll talk to a player and sometimes you're like, no, I really, Will Barton, I think is a good example of this where generally speaking, not in every instance, generally speaking, I feel Will is very honest with us. Mm-hmm. Um. But when I talk to an executive and I have good relationships with executives around the league, not like all of them, but a handful, I still assume that they have a vested interest in not giving me the truth. Mm-hmm. Like it is to their advantage in that interaction because of the work dynamic we exist in, right? And how this kind of relates back is you can't assume that the, I say this about players and I say about executives, you can't assume that the people that you interact with are who they are when the doors close, when they're in those places that you can't go to. That doesn't that doesn't mean by necessity that you should assume that they are toxic. That these that every 
culture is toxic. It just means that you need to not bring in this attitude of defiant, like, no, that's not the case. No, like, like these guys are good. Like, I, you know, you have to be realistic with like, well, look, I don't know. You know, I don't, I, I'm not there. I'm not a woman, right? So I don't understand those same problems. And so you have to kind of be aware of those. We're going to see more of these situations come out. I will say like uh, victims are feeling empowered, which is a huge positive. And we're going to see more and more of these discussions. I think one of the mistakes that, I see happening a little bit is this is framing this in the context like it's being discussed as like this is a son's problem no 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 it's an nba problem no 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 it's a basketball problem no 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 it's a sports problem and it's like look this is a societal problem and we need to constantly be linking back to look at the situation and how much this makes you uncomfortable the details that you read and ask yourself in whatever organization that is going on have you seen signs of this occurring and how can you work to safeguard against that? Like that to me is the big takeaway here is instead, I'm not trying to say like, well, it's not really an NBA problem. Like it is an NBA problem. It's the, the sun situation is a sun's problem, an NBA problem, a basketball problem, a sports problem, like a professional sports problem, a sports problem, an American problem. Like all of those things are concurrently true. And we can discuss the intersectionality, but wanting to focus on, you know, what do the sons need to do or what does the NBA need to do? It, you have to constantly be referring back to like, look, like we have a broader problem that plants the seeds for these issues constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it takes away from like the seriousness of the issue to say it is a societal problem because we're going to see it. I mean, we're seeing an investigation into Portland. And like you said, there'll probably be others. And we've probably, unfortunately, seen others in our own personal life, right? Misogyny, racism. Those are the things that came out of the Sun's investigation, at least. And um, it sounds like Portland may be having some of the same similar things coming out. Um, but recent, I thought it was kind of surprising. And since uh, it's because... I guess I thought the, the Portland investigation was surprising because it seems like he's been renewed on contract twice now, um, their GM, and, and just seems like he has a good track record. He's never had anything negative said about him, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. now he has a, an investigation going. At least that's what's reported by ESPN and um, Yahoo. Yeah, right? so. um, <clears throat> okay. I'm going to speak about this in generalities and not about the specific situation. I don't know Neil O'Shea. I don't have, I'm not, I don't have contact with Neil O'Shea. I don't have a relationship with Neil O'Shea. I don't uh, know Neil O'Shea personally. I don't have a lot of connections in the Blazers. Like this is a generality discussion. Yeah. What I will tell you is there's two concurrent things you talked about. He's been renewed twice. Okay. So he's been renewed twice because the team has had success and because he has a good relationship with ownership and none of that has anything to do with what goes on inside the building. It's all about, do you produce the on-court results and do you get along with ownership? Do you present yourself in a way that makes your, that makes them satisfied? Like this is the dynamics of the relationship between how the team works and how a, a, a front office interacts with ownership. Like those are two separate things. You can run a really good front office, but if the owner doesn't like you, if a new owner buys the team and doesn't like you, you're out, right? And vice versa, you can be, you can not run a good organization, but if ownership really believes in you um, and likes you, 
on a personal level, then that will keep you in, in certain positions. As far as the coverage, uh, okay. I would say oftentimes that there is a quid pro quo relationship between NDA media and executives for access. And it's been like, uh, it's a, a game that I have participated in in a very small level, right? Like I'm not Brian Windhorst and I'm not, like I'm not Brian Windhorst, I'm not Adrian Wojnarowski, Chris Haynes, yeah. any of those guys. There is a relationship though, where you don't like it, it, it is hard to provide criticism and there's a certain level of protection that comes with that. And so if you really pay attention to media patterns, whether it's with um, whatever team, you will notice that some reporters report on what's going on with certain teams more. And then if you link that with how often is that person tweeting or writing about negative coverage of that situation, it that's part of the discussion. Um, one of the things I've been extremely grateful about the Nuggets with in, gosh, I think it was 2016, maybe? Maybe 15. No, it was 15 because it was before they hired Malone. Um, I wrote a column on cbssports.com, like a major, major sports website yeah. with the title, the Denver Nuggets are a train wreck. Like, and I blew up the whole thing. Like <laughs> ownership, management, uh, coaching, players, the whole thing. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, about the toxicity. It was about the Encore product and the failures that had kind of been generated. And I didn't receive an ounce of blowback or grief or restriction. I, like everything was fine. And the reason was be, like, you know, it's been referenced to me later. And it was said like, nothing you said was inaccurate. And so what the where the line gets blurred, I think oftentimes is if um, if somebody feels that you are being inaccurate, even if you're not, if they feel you're being inaccurate, then that's gonna that's gonna result in punitive action because we are at the mercy of the access provided. Some people in the industry are able to like they have enough power of information and intel that they have to be cooperated with. But I would just say that like um, as kind of a, a to to segue that to your question, it's more of there are mechanisms in place that definitely protect these situations, which is why like Baxter Holmes doing the work of interviewing everybody that he did is important, right? For the Suns investigation. And these discussions that come up, like it's important. It starts, I think, with somebody being willing to, to let someone that cares know that there's something going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, I think, important. And this is a hard thing for me to do, right? Like, how do I let people know? Like, listen, if you got something that you think needs to be out there, you should should let me know. Like, mm -hmm. I want to help in that regard and not selfishly. Like, that's part of the issue too, right? Like, it's helpful as a journalist if you reveal something that's going to generate interest um, that was hidden. That's like part of the job, but you have to be able to manage that and do it responsibly and not be chasing it for your own clout. Like, it's got to be done for the work itself. Yeah. The stuff's complicated and people act like the media, like they, they refer to the media and they simplify things oftentimes down. I have like group chats with friends that aren't in it and someone will say something about the media and I'll try and provide like, okay, well, here's, here's why this is happening. And at the end, they're like, oh, and like, well, that's still bad. I was like, exactly. It's still bad. You just need to understand why it's bad. Right. Right. And who to be upset with. Right. Not the, right. not the messenger necessarily. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that, that 
you spoke to it in many ways, but yeah, I think it's important to keep having these kind of conversations. And I think that it's tough when, if you're a person who has information and you want to share and you're like, oh man, this is not good information. This is going to blow up or it's going to hurt people. Um, and I think it's important that these investigations do happen, which is why I'm so curious about the GM association and, mm. and how that'll work moving forward. And I guess at the end of the day, it makes me feel like it, it's really the owners that we should be looking at the most because they yeah. hire the GM. So if they're willing to renew O'Shea, despite the whatever misogyny, racism, whatever um, is happening there, or they're willing to renew whatever the per whoever the person is that's being investigated, um, because the on-court product is what they want to see, then I guess, you know, that's who we should be. I feel like that's who fans and society should be looking towards because it seems like they can have the most control, obviously. And um, they get to decide what kind of culture you want. And I hope that NBA players now, I think we've seen even just with the Julius Jones story and everything coming out, like NBA players are definitely stepping up and participating, trying to participate more in these conversations on society and what's going on in our world and how there's oh. so many, there's gonna, there's never gonna end. It feels like the, the amount of opportunities for them to talk, speak on social issues. And I hope that it continues despite what constantly is being asked of them to be stick to sports. So, okay. Let's get, we can go here. Um, the GM association, I don't have a problem with the GM association. And the reason I don't have a problem with the GM association is I don't have a problem with the players association. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the referees association. It's a union, essentially what you're talking about. And the device of the union is to protect itself. Um, if you want to talk about the negative consequences of this, like here is like the big thing. I've never heard a single player, not a single one, have never read a quote, have never seen a single comment anyone say anything about the Derrick Rose situation. Not once. Um, Kobe Bryant is deified. Deified. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm not going to speak ill of a man that's gone. Right? But if we're going to talk about this, it does need to be said that the players are willing to stand up for issues that are pertinent to them. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes their desire to protect like so they we all have we all have identities that overlap right intersectionality like you're a woman um i don't believe i've asked you this do you prefer to be referred to as latina yeah latina so you're latina you're a woman you're a media member right you're younger than me right um these are all identities that we overlap like i am a white male sports writer living in Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. We tend to tribalize naturally as like just people and we protect those of our kind in the hopes of like circling the wagons. And so what I mean by this is the players you will notice will always stand up for players. Like regardless of what it, the VAC stuff is a good example of this. 95% of the leagues vaccinated this 5% is putting everyone else at risk and the money mm -hmm. and no one speaks out against them. 
like that to me is like a perfect example of this where like you take care of your own and the executives in in large part are basically doing the same they're operating in order to protect their own um when um sterling was ousted one of the few votes against was mark cuban now i am of not the common like mark cuban was like a legend and like everyone loved him and now like he's on the other side of it and there's a generally negative uh, yeah. perception around him i am very much in the middle where like i've i have been on calls with mark i have had interactions with mark and he's always like mark cuban is always impressed upon me is like he is an exceptionally smart person like he is a very smart person that doesn't mean that he's always acted in good or bad i don't have the details enough to make those determinations i think the mavericks is, have, have definitely failed right in regards to their own situations in this yeah um what i'm trying to get to though is when sterling happened cuban said basically if you can do this it empowers the league to remove owners owners based off of private conversations or whatever else and so he was acting in protection of that group you like you basically have to make, make a determination on how much tribalism means to you like how much does your identity group mean to you and oftentimes we are very willing to call out those other groups without holding ourselves responsible um and i think in some cases you know like it's why for me in these cases where media members have been complicit instead of being like well you know like i know him and he's a good guy it's like no like look we we got to call this out like you got get your own house in order and so a lot of this is just people are very big on the idea of other groups being held accountable but that accountability has to start with whatever your own identity group is. Um, if the executives want to be like, the, the better way to do this would be for the executives to be like, no, like, look, we can't have toxic organizations. Like women need to be able to work in these environments and feel safe and respected and for it to be professional. We need to have professional organizations. Like I will tell you as much as I said that there are, like, I don't know, right? Like there are organizations I can point to in the league that I would genuinely be shocked if they had problems because I know the people in charge and how they approach not the basketball side, but the business side, mm -hmm. the operation side and what they install with the owners. So much of this is like, look, you're, you are billionaires. You have mechanisms to allow um, for oversight. Uh, my company at action network, I have to tell you, it's the best one I've worked for in terms of a corporate culture. Like, we have mechanisms that if there's a problem about how you can you can contact HR in a safe place about they've made it very clear that HR is supposed to work for you, but that their responsibility to the company does exist and that you need to have mechanisms in order to like protect yourself outside of those complications like they're the way that my company operates, I think is ideal in my experience. That doesn't mean to say that there aren't problems again I don't talk to everybody in my company. But I'm saying that there are these mechanisms, whether it's technology or just simple oversight, having people whose job it is where their responsibility is not to protect the company. Their responsibility is to protect the employees. That's where it has to start. Like you have to start by giving up control and increasing your risk of exposure by opening yourself up in order to protect your employees because it's the right thing to do.
Right. And you know, you said earlier, you called sports and professional sports a hyper-masculine place. And I would hope, I, I mean, I guess I would hope that the definition of masculinity is beyond, you know, bigger than this or has improved. And I would hope that in a hyper-masculine place, workplace, that they would value what women bring to the table and the, the different perspective. And I, I think that overall, all of these investigations just continue to highlight for me the lack of value that I have when I walk into those doors. And, and luckily, at least here at Ball Arena in our home arena, I do feel like, okay, I'm valued. I know that the, the people in, the, in these walls are gonna respect me. They're gonna listen for the most part if I have a problem. And, and that's been good for me. So, I mean, I think we'll, I agree with you and we'll, we'll have to, we can expect more of these investigations to come. And I think it's just an ongoing, interesting topic as a society for us to keep touching on and keep bringing to light on these sorts of platforms so that people can hear about it. Because we don't often talk about this, this side of basketball, at least not on many Nuggets podcasts that I know of. So... I do want to ask you about something totally different, though. (laughs) And it's this weird phenomenon that both you and I and several of the other media members have all noticed within uh, Nuggets Nation, I guess you could call it. And that's this, the bull bull phenomenon, Matt. Mm -hmm. Like, it is wild. Last night in a game where they're getting blown out in the fourth quarter when people literally have most of the arena has started to leave most of the fans have started to leave and still the loudest moment of the evening when the arena is half full at this point bull bull draining a jumper and it's like the the place blows up i i feel like it's starting to become weird because he doesn't play often he doesn't play well when he gets the chance to play or or do much even so there was a game like two games ago I think against Portland and Harrison and I were like is he purposely not shooting the basketball because every time he touched the ball he would look to pass it he like avoided shooting the ball and it's this weird phenomenon people chant for him every time people want him out on the floor and when I ask people about it it's like well he it's because he's so tall and he's so good at basketball and I I I don't know about that second part. He is so tall. And I think there is a lot of cool things we've seen him do in the past, but we haven't seen him do much cool basketball in the present. So I guess I'm wondering, curious, what do you think about this whole phenomenon? Why does it exist? And will it exist? Will it follow him wherever he goes? I think it will until he's normalized in terms of uh, being a rotation player, right? If it's just like, oh yeah, Bull's coming in, okay, and it's just like he's just like an addition to it because um, Boban had this for several seasons and it's kind of been normalized. Like, okay, he's in the rotation, you know, he'll play ten minutes here or there. Um, to me, it always feels very much like it's freak show dynamics that's how it's always felt to me is it like it to me it it feels like cheering for the bearded lady or um you know anyone at the circus and like bobo is not a freak like he's just an extremely tall skinny man that plays basketball right um 
Bowl's always been like a high profile guy because of his AAU stuff and high school and being a highly tied prospect. That's like, there is an intersectionality of that that mm-hmm. goes along with it. The same reason like Lonzo is, it was such a big deal. Like the ball brothers were such a big deal. So he has that, but there is definitely this aspect of just like, we want to see the super tall guy shoot. And it's just like, that's not healthy. Like this isn't good for him. Like he needs to be able to just play and like bull thinks that he should just be like a rotation player right like he should just be able to do all these type of things he um you know i i try and explain because like i've been asked like well look there's an energy in the crowd when he's out there when he's doing stuff like there's an energy with the crowd i'm like that's true and if bull could just commit himself to other stuff it would be better right like if he was just like a skilled player that could fit in but it always seems like bull only has two modes where he's either like gunning and not playing defense or he's just kind of like a non-factor and like his just impact isn't very good um what's crazy about this is just like look if bull leaves the nba and goes to europe like bull's gonna average like 25 25 to 30 and have like a really successful career um i do think that in some ways it's a distraction to the players that like if you're a guy that is really working hard to try and make it in this league and like, you know, PJ Dozier or um, like Monte Morris, even Marcus Howard, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. And like, everyone's chanting for this guy. Like it's, to me, it's insulting to them and it's insulting to bowl because bowl has not done enough to earn minutes on this team. Maybe he could elsewhere, but he hasn't done what he needs to do to get on the rotation on this team. Mm-hmm. Bowl is still amongst the 95th percentile, upwards of 98th percentile of all backward basketball players in the world. And like to me, he deserves better than to be treated like a novelty, like a mascot, which is how it feels to me. And like I've I've put this out there before, and the common response is like, why do you hate fun? And it's like, I would I don't hate fun if it's just like you're cheering for a player that comes in and he scores a lot and he can't play long minutes because of his body or because of his defense or whatever, that's fine. But you're not doing that. Like you're doing that because of the way that like he looks and that to me, um, it doesn't help the team. It doesn't help bowl. It doesn't help Malone. It doesn't help anybody. It's just like, like I said, to me, it's like cheering for tacos or the mascot. And I don't think it's, I just don't find it to be helpful once you get past the very surface layer, which Granted, that's how most people approach it, right? Like they're not, they're not on, they're not there to, to have deep, serious conversations about basketball players. Like they're just there for the entertainment and bowls entertaining. I get that. Um, I just can't help but feel the way that I do about it because to me, there's no benefit for it other than you know, bowl likes it, then okay. But I also don't necessarily think that it's fair to him to where that's the only encouragement that he's getting. Is, yeah. Is, this kind of patronizing positive feedback yeah it does it feels patronizing to me that's why I like ask that's why I asked on Twitter one night and I got like it was probably my biggest tweet of the year so far Matt like ask about bull bull and people will tell you their opinions of why not very creative you're right most of them have to do with the way that he looks and I feel like the Nuggets have a lot of these kind of guys right you got Facundo Campazzo on the other end where he's like he's so short that it's amazing the things that he does and how could he see that pass or whatever but at the end of the day when I go to an arena to watch basketball 
I want to be entertained with good basketball. And I don't know that I can agree with you on Bull Bull is entertaining basketball right now. Not against this, this league yet. He was the other day in that second quarter when he got some actual good minutes and he actually shot the ball. I was like, oh, so we're not avoiding the basket today. That's good. So <laughs> I will say this. I, I, I know it's the same thing with him and PJ. And honestly, um, I think a lot of the second unit guys, this team values ball movement so much. Like, I, I this is like a basketball thing. This is a very specific basketball thing. I don't necessarily know that Bull is looking to avoid shooting. I think he's looking to avoid jacking up shots, which is only going to get him buried more because Malone's going to be like, you didn't play in the team system. You didn't make plays for others. You didn't rebound or play defense. You just shot the ball. Like the difference is that like, he should probably be coached. Like, look, if you're, if you got the matchup, take it like score. If you've got an opportunity, take an open shot. If you've got it, just don't be shooting for the sake of shooting the team does, I think, get a little caught into, I've always got to make the right play and we need the ball to be moving around without the realization that without Jokic on the floor, you guys don't need to be doing that. You need to be running pick and roll in like a normal NBA offense. Yeah, and take your shots, right? Like we also yeah. saw PJ have a have a rough night last night as well. And it was, again, similar night because I felt like a couple nights ago, he was finally taking shots that he should be taking and then regressed back to that same place last night. Um, but the bull bull phenomenon will continue, I guess, for a while. I really hope that he pans out to be as great as everyone wants him to be. And I do think like there's gotta be a new way. I had not thought about it from the angle of though, like Marcus Howard and, and PJ Dozier, guys who are working really hard to be in that rotation or to get just scraps of minutes here and there and who actually are effective right. and have good reason to be there in the rotation. And so I guess when I go to the game, I want to be entertained by good basketball. And th that means my team winning typically. <laughs> and so that doesn't always happen. And I think nowadays fans cheer for individual players a lot more than they cheer for whole teams. And Bull Bull is just, an interesting guy, both on the court and off the court. He's got a lot of style and fashion followers who love to follow him for like his personality in essence. It's just so weird to me because as one of the two of the people who get a chance to maybe speak to him more, I've, I don't, I have never seen any of that. So I'd love to see more of that so that I could learn what other people love so much about him more. But um do you think that he remains on the team for the rest of the season? Or do you think he could be a piece to kind of move around so that the Nuggets potentially work, fix their bench? I don't know. <laughs> Help their bench. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think if somebody shows interest and they want him, then he'll get moved. Um, like people have asked like, well, if they're not going to play him, why don't they trade him? And my answer is always, how do you, why do you think they haven't tried? You know? Oh, yeah. And I think, um, what this probably ends up as is a team doesn't want to sink an asset into acquiring him. And so he enters the, he, he either gets waived at some point this season or in the off season, um, and is released and then he gets picked up and like, he may have a good career. Like, I don't, I am not like bull bull is a bust and will never play in the NBA. Like, no, like he might go to Houston and be good. He might go to Orlando and be good. He might find minutes on, um a, a middle tier team and find a coach that believes in him and encourages him and likes what he brings to the table like and if that happens then there will be criticism for michael malone for not being the coach that believed in him i, I think the nuggets 
staff has done pretty good about identifying the guys that's like, no, this guy needs to play. Like he's, he's good enough. He needs to play. And Malone's done pretty good about being like, no, he needs to play. Like Bones Highland is already in the rotation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll, I don't think his career is, is hopeless. I just don't think a lot of it is he's had these moments where he's like, I know what I need to do. I need to play harder and I need to play defense and I need to work. I don't know whether he can do defensively. Like this is one of the issues is you can't play him at four or five. He gets bullied. You can't play him at three. He gets cooked. Like he'll have blocks, but for every block that he'll give up, he'll give up way more moments that get the nuggets in rotation. And that just defensively, that's hard to scheme around again. um, You can put him on certain teams where they're just trying to outscore the opponent and probably he'd be fine. Right the Nuggets are in a different spot because of their contention level. Like Bull's probably playing 20 minutes a night back in 2016. You know, he's, he's getting minutes the same way Jokic and Nurkic and, and Gary Harris and like all the, all the young guys were because they were trying to figure out who was good and who wasn't. Right. He's just not in that spot now. Like he has to be accountable and he has to be engaged and he has to like, you have to show toughness and effort on this team because those are values that Malone has instilled in this team. And mm-hmm. he hasn't, you know, it's not just about talent. This is the NBA. Everybody's talented. So I think he can go and have a, have a career. I, it depends on the, on whether he gets the opportunity, but when he does, I will still not be killing Michael Malone for not giving him more of an opportunity. Cause every time I've seen him, I've just been like, okay, great. Crossover three neat, but there's a lot more to basketball than this. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we will hear the other side of people killing a killing Malone or, you know, giving Malone a hard time or giving the Nuggets a hard time. Oh, there's another guy who went to a different team and had a ton of success, but couldn't do it with the Nuggets. Because, right. um, you know, we always hear those things. Uh, I am curious to know, though, just in general, you spoke to the Nuggets contention and where they're at. Do you really believe in this team? Scale of one to 10, where are you at? How? Uh, I'm a nine. Uh, I bet them to win the title. I don't regret that. I'm not cashing out on that position. I'm not buying out of that position. I'm not the only team I I, 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 think I bet to win the title. Of course I, not. <laughs> my, my Warriors bet has become the, 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 like, it's, it's my precious. I hold on to that Warriors bet very, very tightly <laughs> now. Um, but look, <laughs> you know, we mentioned Ryan, like he and I going back and forth. We were doing this last night where I was just like, it's, it's he's like, but like, they just don't have the shooters. I was like, it's no, it's November, Ryan. It's November. They're going to be fine. They're three games over 500. They're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Like it's possible the wheels fall off and the whole season collapses under the weight of the bench. But to me, what's going to happen is they're going to get help. They're unhealthy. Now they're still winning enough. They're going to get healthy. They'll go on a run. They'll probably have a dip. Jamal will come back and they'll either have a dip when he comes back versus weak opponents and then come out of it stronger or Jamal will come back and be a house on fire. Um, I have a lot of confidence that Jamal is going to be back in February. I have a lot of confidence that Jamal is going to look good when he returns. I have a lot of confidence that um, Jamal will have an easier adjustment than most guys do because of his conditioning work. And I think this team at full health and full strength, I think they'll probably figure out whatever the hell's going on with MPJ, both physically and mentally. And by the end of the season, I always just like, this has become a mantra for me. Every team go is at least three different versions of itself by the end of the year. Hmm. Um, sometimes upwards of like, I've seen them be five, but the Nuggets last year were just extremely struggling the first month of the season. Um, they were a good team that had low lows in the middle 
They were a dynamite team for about a month and a half. And then they were a tough team that refused to die the last month and a half of the season. So my expectation is that they'll be better by the end of the season than they are now. And that full strength with the starting five, as it's intended, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, MPJ, Gordon, and Jokic, that this team can contend for a title. I think they are as good as any team in the Western conference. And I think that they are very much live to win the NBA title. I mean, I knew about that bet. I had heard that you bet on them for the championship to win the championship. And so I was curious if anything had changed your mind to this point. So that's why I asked, I agree with you on, on Jamal Murray. He, every time I watch him in warmups, um, he looks better and he looked not just like, better shooting his his shot has always looked good to me even when he first got out there he was shooting I think the first time I saw him after the surgery he was shooting half court shots like on one leg um so it's not his shot that I, when I say it looks better I just mean like his muscles look strong he looks fit he looks healthy it's been really cool to see him game by game honestly because like I'm glad he does the the warm out the warm-ups Mm-hmm. on the public court like he could do for those who don't know ball arena has a practice court on, on one of the levels and so he could just be doing it in there he could go through warm-ups on there and then come out but he does it in front of the crowd and like to me like there is very much like a just so you know i'm coming oh yeah um, aspect of it at you know the other night he was working on I, I mentioned this on twitter he was working on pass relocate catch and shoot and you could tell that like his, like, it was it, like, he would wince a little bit or he would be like a little uncomfortable. And then I saw him last night and he looked better. Mm-hmm. And like every single night, like he looks a little better. Like it's been cool to track that progress of him shooting on one foot to him shooting on two feet gently to him doing full on pull-ups to where he's at now, which is he's doing most of the warm up stuff. That's a lot different. It's a long way from five on five. That's a long way from five on five. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can tell that he's getting back. Um, Adam had said on the podcast, he looked a little puffy, which is to be expected because of the conditioning thing. I feel like they're going to ramp that up as he gets closer. Like I have less concerns about Jamal's conditioning in terms of like weight and body. He'll have conditioning problems just in terms of endurance. That's the problem. It's just like, you have to get back used to playing, playing the minutes, yeah. but I just, I have a lot of confidence that Jamal is going to come back like a house on fire. I, I just think he's going to come back and, and no one's the same is the problem. Like he will look good and still miss shots. That's kind of been the research I've done is that's kind of what it suggests on these knee injuries is that they'll come back and like, they can look good, but the shots just not quite there. Cause they're still trying to get used to what's essentially a new body. Um, and so in full motion, it, it, it could be a while if the shots there though, like I really honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Nuggets just don't miss a beat. Like that's how much I have faith in Jamal's work ethic relative to literally every player in the league. Like I will put Jamal's work ethic up there with any player in the NBA. And that is not a disservice to those other players. It's how highly I think of Jamal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the things that I think most people would describe Jamal as like a never quit kind of guy. Um, I know that during this time, there's been a few references just to like Jamal's mentality and his mental health, as you can imagine. I, I just went through surgery in 2020, 
and was recovering from that and couldn't play, couldn't shoot my right wrist. You got to be kidding me. First thing my grandfather asked me, you did, it wasn't your right wrist, not your shooting hand. Like, yes, grandpa, it was my shooting hand. I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't even play basketball anymore except for, for fun. But I go, I do like to shoot every day. I like to go down to the you know, outdoor hoop by my house and shoot. And that was hard not to be able to do that. That's a very, like a solace for me, a place where I get my mind off of things. I know Jamal's really working on the mental stuff and, and uh, he's in a pretty good place mentally as well, which I think is just awesome that it's even a topic that we talk about more this season, it seems like in general with players. Um, today, he posted a message that he had sent to a mother and her son who, who it's not clear in the details, but he uh, clearly had been had an injury of some kind that's taken him off the field. Looks like he's a football player. And uh, Jamal just wrote them a personal message, like detailing, like it's really more about the mental, not the physical. He said in due time, he will be healthy. He will be more athletic than he ever was. If he focuses on his rehab and doesn't rush it, he will be a better player and person after this injuries slow you down physically but allow you to be more detailed mentally. Tell him I hope he comes back stronger and doesn't take his health for granted. When he steps back on the field, he'll know how much work it took him to get there. And I think that's exactly where, like he's speaking about himself, you know? So I'm 100% on board with you. I won't keep you too much longer, Max. I know you're a busy guy, but I do want to know you got to give us at least one because we do talk betting on this podcast and I do give out sports bets uh, on this podcast specific to the nuggets. So I got to know one NBA bet that you're just hammering this year. Like every single night, it's like, seems like it's a good one to go to. Unders man. Unders are at 63% on the season. You can pretty much bank on them. Nuggets games are great unders. Uh, even when their defense starts to regress, they, you can count on, as the defense starts to regress, you still have to factor in the opponent has to be able to make shots and everyone's struggling to make shots this season. The Nuggets offense can stall out um, and the Nuggets play at such a grind it out pace. Like they just play so slow, like relative to even slow teams I've seen before. They are absolutely just glacial. Like Denver is they, uh, their offensive possession link via dunks and threes.com. Great website. Dunks and threes.com uh, is fourth slowest in the league they are behind only cleveland philly washington that's it and they just absolutely and their defense is good enough to make you work for it they're sixth in uh possession length time on defense so they make you work on defense you have to go through multiple shots and on offense they absolutely just play it down into absolute cryo freeze so uh unders have been really successful in that spot unders have been successful for the entire league um that's been the best one and the biggest future. Look, uh, I have a big Curry position on MVP, but I just bet it and I'll probably be betting it again next week. I bet Nikola Jokic to win MVP at plus 1800. It's now down to plus 1000. I think there's value all the way down to 600 right now. Uh, Jokic is going to be in the MVP conversation all the way through the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I just listened to a podcast yesterday and they were like, regretfully including him in the he's still in the conversation they said and I was like yeah he's definitely still there you guys so he's absolutely gonna be in there one that I like one bet I've liked this season um and most sports books still haven't caught on actually cashed it last night uh Tyrese Maxey over one and a half threes the line has been one and a half and he's hitting like an on average two threes every night so 
it's it's a pretty easy cash and it's plus money because I don't know why. I guess sportsbooks haven't caught on to it yet. So that's mine for the Sixers. Maxi, that's the line. It's a pretty good one. Uh, nice. I've been cashing that one on the, on the reg. And of course, I really like, um, gosh, the Bulls against the spread have been pretty successful on the season. Um, so not I, tonight. Not tonight? You got the Nuggets? Uh, yeah, I expect Jokic to play. They're, I they they really don't like two losses in a row. They're kind of like mm, okay, like all right, don't like it, but okay. Three and they get they get they get pretty urgent to be like no 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 we're not letting this slide. We're yeah. not going to have this turn into a five game losing streak. So it's not um, about going up against their old friend Arturis. No, it's not about that at all. I think it's it's really just more about uh, they're at home off of an embarrassing performance and. Um, I've often, I've oftentimes said this, like, this is what well players have said this, and that's where I take it from. I, I've asked several, a lot of players this, and they all say the same thing. You lose a big, you lose badly, and you shake it off because you know you're not that bad. If you lose by 25, you're like, we're not that bad. We're not that bad. That's not who we are. We can right. bounce back. You lose by two in a heartbreaker. That one stays with you because you could have had it. So I'm expecting a much better performance tonight. I think they'd be the best. All right, you heard it here first. Although you probably won't be hearing this podcast until Saturday. <laughs> That's what it gets. In this case, if the Nuggets lost, and I knew it the whole time, bad spot. Jokic obviously banged up. Who could have seen it coming? Um, yeah. They'll get one in Phoenix and in Portland. <laughs> right. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on, Matt. I really appreciate it. Anytime speaking with you is always a chance for me to learn more about you and about the game of basketball. Um, So I always appreciate it. You're always welcome.